Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I am Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Ten years in the NFL for him. Five for me. Okay, as a reporter. He actually played in the game. But, you know, who's counting, Logan? Who's counting? (laughs) What is that? What is that? Okay, matters a lot. Uh, But his expertise uh, is going to explain to you on today's pod, amongst other things, the mystery of Taylor Heineke. Why is it that he wins games as we review this win over Houston in some more depth? Of course, if you like what you hear, we would love for you to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, the Odyssey app. And of course, if you're watching, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. All right, Logan, uh, as we dive into Washington's offense in this game, they very clearly came out with a, a game plan, executed it uh, at some level, which you'll dive into, and then took their foot off the gas in the second half. But what did you make of the plan and, and, and kind of what Scott Turner threw out and how they executed, especially while the game was in the balance in the first half? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what this team is at the moment. And what I mean by that, they're a team that I think obviously they want to run the football and then they've developed a couple of plays, you know, kind of this duo play with the motions and the shifts to kind of, as some eye candy, which is a better play action pass. And they are able to do some play action pass stuff off of it. Right. You know, I mean, obviously that's not the only thing they're doing. The first play action, that ball that's completed to Terry is off of a center pull. Right. And that works great versus a cover three spot drop kind of look. And they're able to get a completion there. But I think they're basically kind of, this is, this is a, we've talked about this before. This is like a big trend around the league. Their, their teams without elite quarterbacks are, are taking off taking responsibility out of the quarterback's hands. So they're running the football a ton. When they when they do pass the football, it's often off play action, often off a keeper look. And that's essentially what Scott's doing, right? You're finding ways to stress the defense in other ways than kind of saying, hey, sit, let's get in a five-step drop and you you dissect the defense. And um, I think that's like that's where this offense is. And I think it's a very good formula and a very sustainable formula because the defense and the special teams are playing well. So um, that's kind of where, where I'm at with the offense at the moment. And I think, you know, when like talking about the mystery of Taylor Heineke, I think that's part of the equation when looking at the mystery, right? It's saying Scott has changed his approach. This offense has changed its approach um, from when Carson was starting. And as a result, you're getting a quarterback who's who's less stressed down in and down out, has less responsibility. Now, that's not to say he's not doing some good stuff, but I think that's generally kind of the overarching theme with him. 
Right. So like this to me is the mystery, right? And and it's like how do you have a guy in Carson who's super talented that doesn't win games and then, you know, Taylor that does. And okay, fine, you've got this new game plan. But to me, like the actual difference in the two, like that's obviously the the ecosystem around them changed. Mm-hmm. I know Rom was very clear the other day as well. Like Brian Robinson was such a big part of what they wanted to do. And then he has this tragic accident that happens in the preseason right before the season, knocks him out. It completely throws them off kilter, which by the way, everyone said at the time, everyone was like, it is very clear they are off kilter and they are very reliant on having Brian Robinson, which was a mistake because he was a rookie. There was no guarantee he was going to be successful. It didn't seem like they had a backup plan regardless. And then obviously, and you also don't ever want your offense to be reliant on one player because it's the NFL and guys get hurt. Um, and obviously it's very rare that a player gets hurt in the way that Brian Robinson got hurt. Uh, and, and it's awful, but you know, he just as easily or probably more easily could have rolled his ankle in practice or in the preseason game. And he's out a couple weeks and the offense would have been in the same spot minus the emotional overhang of tragedy. And so they took a while to adjust and to then ultimately get Brian back and implement him in the offense and then they seem to find their groove. So that is that is obviously part of it. But then you have the, this kind of question that we've been batting around the last couple of weeks of, well, okay, if you have this formula now and you have the pieces in place, not only Robinson, but an offensive line that has finally stopped playing musical chairs, what would it look like if Carson was there? And I have always said the answer is not as good as it looks with Taylor. Because the mystery of Heineke to me is, he actually executes the very little that he is asked to do, relatively speaking, at a much higher level than Carson, or even a higher level, maybe not a much higher level, but a higher level than Carson Wentz would. And the because that is a relative little compared to what they were asking Carson to do, the numbers are not as flashy. You know, it doesn't necessarily look as, as good on paper. But if you watch the games, it's fairly obvious that hey, this basic thing they need him to do, or hey, that little subtle thing he did where he threw a ball away, where Carson probably would have taken a sack. Like Those are the things that keep your offense on schedule and win football games. And when you start to realize those things, it's not that much of a mystery at all. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, you know, like I was listening to PFF uh, this morning and they were kind of reviewing the game. They do a great job of reviewing every game from the week. So it's not going to be super uh, detailed, nuanced, but they were kind of saying like, they don't understand why Taylor Heineke is the starter based on their metric, right? And I think part of that is they don't understand like the new game plan. They don't understand how Taylor Heineke fits. They don't understand, again, like I think it's so, like the game plan thing, I know we kind of want to push that to the side, but it's so important because if you think about early in the season, like they were, they were leveraging the defense too much, right? Think about all the three and outs that Carson had in the first mm-hmm. Philly game. Think about all the three and outs um, in, the, in the first half of the Detroit game. And that, again, the defense is good, but it, it's not a tenable solution. So you've, you've taken some responsibility off the defense by being a little bit more conservative offensively. And that's, that's a, big, a big part of that is the run game. You mentioned B-Rob, and you don't want to mortgage your future on one player who's a rookie. But there are teams that, that have done that, right? I think, you know, like look at this, he's not a rookie, but Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, um, even Algiers in Atlanta, right? They're getting a lot of touches in the context of that offense. And he's a big, powerful guy who I, I think elevates the offensive line in a different way than Gibson. I think in the podcast we had after the game, you know, I said, oh, I'm, I think B-Rob played better than Gibson. And mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons I said that is because he made more out of bad runs. He doesn't he's, – he's a good – he's a good – 
bad run runner, if right. that makes sense. So when the right. offensive line hasn't blocked it effectively, he's good at kind of finding air, breaking a tackle, falling forward for a yard. So that, that's part of it, right? And then so that that's 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 kind of the big crux of it. Obviously, the game plan, the personnel, all those different things. The thing that you were alluding to there, like with him making plays when he's got to make it, I think is the that's that's the stuff that's lost in the sauce a little bit. That's the stuff that no one's talking about. So, for example, there's like a third down. They bring a pressure. He gets he's getting hit. He kind of steps away from the throw. He gets the ball to Logan Thomas for a 15 yard game. Right. There's a um, a play where the uh, I think the left tackle gets beat on a rush. He throws in perfect timing to uh, Terry McLaurin on a big out route. First down. That stuff, those plays are probably sacks with Carson Wentz at quarterback, and those drives die right there. So mm -hmm. for his ability to throw, again, with anticipation and understand the offense, understand where the ball should go, right? Even on the first completion of Terry, like it's masterful, right? He understands the defenses in cover three. They do the play fake. He looks to the left. Safety runs to the left, makes a big window for Terry. Like that is high-level football stuff. The protection holds up. All the things are there. Terry runs an excellent route. He throttles in the zone. They're on the same page from a chemistry standpoint, right? There's all those little nuances that – Again, a company like PFF can't necessarily account for. Now, you know, they understand pressure rate. They understand all these things. But when you watch the game, you see those things that are elevating him, his relationship to the receivers, his trust in the receivers, his understanding of where the football should go, and his ability to kind of make a play when it's not a perfect situation. And for this offense, where the margin for error is so small, keeping them out of negative plays and executing on third down like we've talked about. Like, that's my thing. That's my soapbox executing on third down he's done a great job of that and you know i know they only were three of 13 or whatever but they were able to find chunk plays on second down that basically played like third down conversions for a lot of the game so that's to me that's again to your point is the thing that's elevating is is the mystery of taylor heineke watch down to down watch throw for throw those are the things he's doing consistently and it's never going to show up in a big stat sheet because the main thing that's carrying this team is the run game and the defense right He's just not throwing the ball as much. So, like, you right. can't accumulate yardage in the passing game. Like, Carson was throwing for 250 yards a game, but he's also throwing it 35 to 40 times. Right. So, like, yards per completion is not that different where Heineke's throwing it 25 to 30 or even sometimes 20 times a game. Yeah. Right? Like, you just can't accumulate, and especially if you don't have a 75-yard bomb, which, like, way jacked up Carson's numbers in one of those games. Like, that and is... And a lot of it's, gar like, a lot of it's yeah. two-minute comeback situations kind of... I don't want to say garbage time throws, but like that, there's always something like padding stats in those phases of the game. Right. It, Which is it, not it, like for the sake of padding stats, right? Like right, you're, you're trying, trying to, to engineer a, a comeback uh, the best you can, but defenses play it differently. Defenses play off. They're trying to make you basically kill the clock. Like, sure, we'll give you a bunch of yardage, but we're not going right. to give you easy points. And thus, it's easy to accumulate yardage. You know, uh, I, I referenced this quote uh, the Minnesota week, but. Kirk Cousins is not having as good of a statistical season in terms of total yardage as he's had previously. And that's something that Kevin O'Connell said was like, yeah, we actually haven't been in a ton of those situations where right. Kirk has kind of gotten those garbage time numbers to bring his stats up to where right. they've been in the past. It's not like he's any more or, or any less efficient than he's been. It's just the, the when you start to get into some of the accumulation situations, um, you, you don't see those the way Minnesota's played this year necessarily and because they've been in clo a bunch of close games as opposed to trying to play catch up the same has been true for Washington where you know yeah if you were to give Taylor Heineke a free drive at the end of a game to accumulate 80 yards his stats go from 200 to 280 
Um, but he hasn't had those situations. And, and Carson, you know, the Detroit game, for instance, was basically that the entire second half. And so it, it that is part of it is like when your job is to get seven yards on third and five or third and six, you get the seven yards, you hand the ball off again, and, and you just repeat, and you're not going to accumulate a ton of yardage. But that's the important thing is that they're actually getting in those situations, which are hard to quantify for a company like PFF um, versus the negative points of a sack because you don't really like statistics don't deal in counterfactuals. Statistics mm. don't deal in what didn't happen, what you avoided. They they deal in what did. And so it's very hard, uh, you know, unless PFF is going to create some other, you know, kind of metric that deals with some of that stuff like hey bonus points in your pff grade because you slid five feet or slid five inches and avoided a sack like that's just hard to quantify but taylor yeah. does that little stuff all the time and when you see it not happen in the first six games with carson i mean i'm not trying to pick on carson but it's just it is what it is that is easy to see the difference and why this team is all of a sudden four and one with Heineke versus better statistically in the passing game with Carson in terms of overall yardage, but two and four. Yeah. And I think also, you know, I think strength of schedule is also something that probably sure. needs to be talked about. I mean, they did beat Philadelphia. Carson had a crossover there. Like there's, there's something to that, but I, I do think that, um, yeah, defense it, finding it's, its groove in general. Yeah, you know, William Jackson III being out has a big deal huge, to do with it. Huge deal. And like, you know, you know, we talked you talked about Forrest at the top, Forrest, Benjamin St. Juice, Bobby McCain to the nickel, guys like John Ridgeway coming in, like guys filling out roles, being supplemental pieces to the talent, and then in some cases, like being the guy, right? So I think all that stuff is so important. And it is interesting to kind of have the thought experience of like what would this offense be under this same play calling with the defense playing this way, like is, is Carson Wentz just as effective as Heineke? And I think there is potentially true, but I also think that the offensive line, the backs, the, the pass protection is not always as clean and, and Heineke seems to be performing better in those areas. And, uh, you know, they do have, you know, passes under pressure, those types of statistics, um, you know, but I'd also think they're more correlated to like blitzes as opposed to like actual pressure in the pocket. So, um, but yeah, he's done an excellent job in that area. And it'll be interesting to see like if they can't stick to the game plan, if they can't stick to this run first, run second, run third type deal, play action pass approach, and they're in a game where they're down by two scores. Like, what does this team look like is the complexion. Right. But I think you're you're kind of betting on the fact <clears throat> that the defense has turned a corner, that they are playing better. They're playing more consistent. They're making plays. And you're not going to be in that situation because they're going to be able to kind of bail you out, which is a big ask of that group. But that's how well they're playing at the moment. And I think that that, again, lends itself to supporting Heineke in this role and supporting any quarterback in this role, really. Yeah, uh, there's one other factor as well that needs to be mentioned. And uh, I give credit to Michael Phillips for pointing this out uh, in the starkest of terms yesterday uh, when he came on with me, Michael joins me on the radio on the team 980 at four o'clock every Monday. And I was like, well, the idea that, that Taylor or that Carson is a better quarterback than Taylor at this point in this offense, I think is just misunderstanding like what this offense needs at quarterback and like a misdefinition of better. And Michael goes, I agree. Cause by the way, in some ways it's as simple. Taylor Heineke finds Terry McLaurin and Carson mm. Wentz didn't. You didn't yep. pay Terry McLaurin all that money to be a decoy, to to be a guy that's out there blocking. Like, yeah, he's great at that stuff. But, but <laughs> Terry McLaurin, since Taylor Heineke has been the quarterback, has been 
incredible. He's averaging about 85 yards per game. That is an almost 25 yards, 23.8 yards per game increase over the first six games of the season. And sometimes football is a simple game. Get the ball to the good dudes. And Taylor Heineke does that in a more efficient way than Carson Wentz. And, in, in a, you know, we can talk about elevating the line. He definitely does that. I don't want to discount that because that is probably the single biggest factor. But I think the second biggest factor in term, outside of like avoiding the sacks and all that kind of stuff uh, that, that, he, that involves the line play and, and his quick decision making is who the ball actually goes to. And Taylor gets the ball to the good guys, or the, the best guys, the great guys, better than Carson did. Yeah, and I think this is something that we we talked about quite a bit um, in the offseason is Carson not building that chemistry with Terry. And it never was really there even through training camp, right? It wasn't there training camp, wasn't there really through OTAs. And obviously, uh, Taylor has that. I mentioned on the first throw of the game. I mentioned on the deep out, right? Like those are plays in, on the slants and stuff, right? Those are things where the timing and understanding how the guy's going to run the route really pay dividends. Now, I do think that that number is slightly inflated by some of the YOLO type throws that he's had to Terry, the one at the uh, one at the end of the Indianapolis game, right, yeah. where you're just kind of throwing it up. But there's also some really good stuff in there, right? The throw to Jair Alexander, you know, the on the the, the deep pass to, on Jair Alexander, the um, the one on Darius Slay against Philadelphia. Like he's done a good job of finding those opportunities in the context of the offense and and not forcing it really. I think you know, like early on, it was kind of forced the ball to Jahan to Terry's detriment because Carson had that relationship with Jahan. And again, this is where like everyone says, is the offseason matter? Is it and that relationship never developed, you know? And this is this is what it looks like when a court and it's funny because Jahan's been a little bit less productive with Taylor because Jahan hasn't really worked with Taylor, right? So I think right. those kinds of relationships are really interesting. And that's where like that interpersonal stuff of understanding this guy, I know this guy. I know how he's gonna run this slant. I know he's gonna run the out. I know I trust myself that I can throw this ball not knowing whether he's out of his break or not, and it's going to be completed. Like, that's the type of stuff that he brings to the table, and they've been able to maximize on it. And he said himself, like, you know, one of the things last year that really hampered the offense was they couldn't find a big – they couldn't cultivate big plays to Terry. And he and he, he took a lot of onus of that. And obviously that's not the case anymore, right? They've, they've kind of worked through that, and they found opportunities to get that done. And it's been a nice piece because, like, we've talked about a million times on this show, you know, if you can have a play at 15 yards or more, right – it increases your likelihood of scoring like 55%. That is another huge feature of kind of, in addition to staying on schedule, they've been able to find these plays in kind of weird ways, you know, like, and and credit to Terry, credit to Terry, credit to uh, uh, Taylor, but credit to the offense as a whole for kind of building these relationships and getting that done. So the last element of this too is kind of tying it all together. Right. So the, the game plan stuff and, and the advancement of the game plan in some ways, while it's simplified in, in terms of like, yeah, we're going to run the ball a lot more. We've seen a return these last couple of weeks to a lot of the pre-snap motion, a lot of the post-snap movement, uh, as you've termed it, and, and some of the route combinations and things that they've done. And we just didn't see that a ton with Wentz. And there was a huge question that we talked about a lot on the podcast earlier in the year uh, about whether or not that was something that was a Scott issue? Did he mm. kind of forget about it uh, during the course of a regular game week and, and in-game? Or was that, hey, maybe Carson can't handle that load? And it's a new offense, it's new verbiage, it's it's all that stuff, so that's not calling Carson dumb, like, to be very, very clear. That stuff's hard. That's a lot of extra stuff beyond the basics of just executing the play. And so 
Taylor, who's been in this offense for seven years, all of a sudden seems to be able to handle that bigger neural load, uh, or at least they are giving him what we can safely say is they're giving him that. And I think that's a like kind of the last maybe underlying factor is they've been able to make Taylor's job easier because they have been able to give him some of the indicators, some of the the motion, some of the the things that he really needs or that an offense in the modern NFL with all the defenses throw at it need to maximize success and that help impact the running game that help insulate the line beyond just his own individual performance. And I think that that is the kind of the last part here. And I'm curious, especially as you watch this Houston game in the first half, like how some of that stuff played into their success where they have a 20 point outburst and lead 20 to nothing at halftime. Yeah, so I think something to kind of keep in mind here is that as they've become more efficient offensively, they've, they've been able to get to more plays, right? And I know the play totals may not be that drastically different because Carson was able to get some of these two-minute drives at the end of games. But I think this is all – I would assume this stuff has always been in there. Now, the duo play that they're running with, like, the the cross-sift and the lead action, like, that's a n- relatively new addition. I want to say they put that in around, like, week six or seven. I have to go back and look. Don't quote me on that. But it's it's a relatively new addition to the offense, and that's something that they really – they live and die by. I mean, I think they ran that run probably 15 times in the game. Like, that is a huge part of what they do. And they run play action off of that. So, again, just the nature of that one addition in terms of play adds a ton of stuff to the backfield, right, as a ton, as a ton of – post snap motion pre snap motion right and and so again there's there's that element you have more runs that need or necessitate that type of play call with the movement and um and also yeah you know like last week against houston the motion pre snap and the action post snap was going to be extremely significant regardless and what i mean by that it's going to be significant because they play a lot of man-to-man on first down which is a little bit unusual and when you play man-to-man on first down one way to kind of really test that team is say, hey, we're going to be in a two-by-two. Two, we're going to motion to a three-by-one. That guy's got to track me. All right, now that you've tracked me and you're basically to the running strength now, you have to fit this run to the front side. But wait, what if I take that same player I just motioned across and bring him back to sift the backside end or flash block on the backside defensive end? That player has to now track me across the formation and it affects everybody's run fits on the fly. So – the the game itself, I think, necessitated more motion or called for more motion. It was something that I was anticipating. So I think also motion is game plan specific. It's also related to play volume. And I mean play volume on first and second down. I don't mean these two-minute drives at the end of the game. So I think right. all that stuff is 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 a factor. But yeah, do I think that having a quarterback who um, who knows the offense and feels comfortable with the offense is a factor as well? 1,000%. 1000% a factor. And it's also the team is like, this happens with teams as the season goes on, they develop an identity and they develop a comfort with certain concepts, right? So you can feel free to say, oh, they understand the basic concept. Let's add a tag here. Let's do this. Let's do whatever. And I think that's also a factor, right? So is Taylor is Taylor's um, understanding of the offensive factor 1000%. But I also think there's some other things here that are contributing to seeing that more. It's not, it's not in and of itself because Carson's not the starting quarterback. Yeah. All right. But I, f- I feel like what we did there was unlock the mystery, right? Like no more. It was good, I don't man. get, I don't get why Heineke, I don't get how he wins games. Like, okay. 
you know, I I understand it. It doesn't necessarily make sense because he's not out there, Patrick Mahomesing it up for three thirty and three touchdowns, and you know, super efficient. You know, the the day that Dak Prescott had uh, on, on Sunday, where it's like he was like twenty three of twenty six or something like that. Like, yeah, he's not he's not doing that. And frankly, he's never done that. I don't know that he's yeah. ever had a three hundred yard game in his career. Yeah. Um, he might have had one if I remember correctly, but I I think he maxed out at like two ninety in one of the games last year. So that's just not who he is, but it's because the test he has been being asked to take is not one with a lot of upside. There's not a lot of potential points on it, if you will, but he scores pretty highly on it consistently. Yeah. and And I also think it's just like, that's where like a box score is misleading. You know, like there's times where, you know, I think Daniel Jones is a great example of this. Everyone's like, well, why are the giants winning football games? And it's because Daniel Jones has been hyper efficient, throwing the football in terms of third down conversions and keeping the team on the field and making plays when he's got to, and also scrambling. And that's never going to show up on a stat sheet. But if you look around the league, there are some teams that are winning games because quarterbacks with, with, with kind of middling quarterback play or seemingly quarterback play. And then when you go watch them, you're like, oh, it's because, hey, he made this excellent play on third and seven. Oh, he, he bought a little time here and got this conversion on uh, third and ten. And those plays are gigantic especially for teams with this type of philosophy. And I'm going to say this a million times. So if you listen, like cut this clip, send it to your friends, whatever you want to do. This is the key. When you run this offense like this, you ha- those plays become so critical. And Taylor's making them when Carson wasn't. And a guy like Daniel Jones is making them, right? And that elevates the whole offense. It elevates the whole team because they have good defenses. They can really lean into those groups. It's the same thing with Atlanta, right? When they win games, Mariota makes plays on third down, second and 10, whatever it is, because they want to run the football. That's who they want to be. But they need a quarterback who can execute in those kind of high leverage situations, keep them on the field and just find plays. And that's what Taylor's been able to do. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, by the way, the best offenses in the NFL, the Chiefs and the Bills specifically, have quarterbacks who can kill you from the pocket but yeah. also make those plays like a a, pers- a player that can do both is the ultimate version of a quarterback. And they've got the two best like yeah. Mahomes will also kill you with scrambles on third down. Yeah. It's just that he also can dice you for a 60 yards. I'm fading left from the left hash and let's throw it down the right sideline sidearm play because he's an alien from outer space. And while Heineke uh, can't do that, and most quarterbacks in the NFL can't do that, Daniel Jones is not doing that. Um, that is why those offenses are averaging near 30 points a game, you know, why they, they put up the yardage they do. Uh, but if you get at least part of that, the efficiency part, then you can be effective and win football games. And obviously, Taylor has done that. Uh, Washington now 4-1 and one with him as the starter in 2022. Uh, they were pretty successful with him when he was healthy last year. And we will see. Uh, and I, I think soon, like we get into, you know, they play well against Atlanta. We start getting into an extension conversation for Heineke as well. Um, and it's, yeah. it's crazy how quickly that table turns, but um, it, it comes to the point that you're being negligent. If you don't at least start to have that discussion uh, and, you know, a couple more games like this, if he's five, six and one, God forbid he wins the next two as a starter, like, yeah, you should probably think about that. Uh, so we will talk about that if that is indeed the case. Uh, but that is still to come as the season goes here on Take Command.